This is Pain Refrain. Welcome back to another edition of Pain Refrain. Today on Pain Refrain, we're going to bring a colleague and friend, Dr. John Zapata, on. And we're going to focus this discussion around this idea of the bigger picture of rehabilitation and how it crosses all parts of our body and try to come up with a more holistic way of approaching folks that are in persistent pain, in particular those that may have suffered some significant neurological disorder, have a significant neurological disorder, suffered some neurological damage, and how we might go about integrating those principles from the neurological rehabilitation world into into the chronic pain space. So with no further ado, Dr. John Zapata. John, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm John, and I'm a physical therapist at Colorado Notion. I went to school at Regis University, and I graduated in 2012. My primary focus was in neurology. My, my passion was actually in neurology. My research was actually in Parkinson's disease in undergrad and grad school. And then I went to Tier Memorial Hermann for one of my longer rotations, where one of the clinical mentors really taught me what it means to have magic hands and that everything that we did as a physical therapist in the neurological realm was actually using your hands to facilitate and inhibit. So I'm a little non-traditional in the way as I'm an orthopedic manual physical therapist with board certification in orthopedics that I actually went in the ortho realm instead of the neural realm route. So after the at Tier Memorial Herman, I went and I hung out with a fellow colleague of ours, Dr. Britt Smith down in Grand Junction, Colorado. After hanging out with Britt, I realized that everything that I saw in the neural realm, Dr. Britt Smith was doing as a manual physical therapist in the orthopedic realm. His hands were just as magical as what I saw in the neural realm. He facilitated, he inhibited without him even possibly even knowing what he did. I was so amazed that after my internships as a student, that instead of going to the neural realm and the neural route, I wanted to know everything about, about the human body and being able to manipulate with my hands, manual therapy wise, from the head to the toe. So I chose to actually go into a residency at Scottsdale Healthcare, now it's Honored Health in Arizona, where I did an orthopedic residency in the hospital-based setting. I completed some research there with manual therapy in the Parkinson's disease population, which further went down my interest in this realm. And then I then completed a evidence in motion fellowship in 2014 to 2017. And since then, my whole clinical interest and passion has been bridging the two silos from orthopedics and neurology together. And I believe that manual therapy and our ability as physical therapists to touch in our rehabilitation practice allows that. Well, thanks for that, John. And I'm particularly excited to discuss this idea of bridging these silos. You know, you think as physical therapists, we would not have gone down the pathway of medicine where we're so fragmented that each quote unquote body system has a specialty and subspecialties within the within the body system down to almost, you know, uh, dermatology level where all you do is a, you know, one procedure, a most surgery or something of that nature. We've gotten so uh, compartmentalized. And yet this podcast is really about 
pain in the and what we what pain forces us to do in healthcare is come together and treat from a holistic patient-centered perspective. And so would you mind kind of sharing your thoughts? I know you've uh, done some teaching and really on the folks with some persistent neurological disorders. And, you know, how have you kind of brought, seen the pain sciences brought into that population, whether you give us an example or some thoughts you've been having? Yes. So I currently teach with the, the Neuro Recovery Training Institute. And for the last few years, I've been teaching a course called Manual Therapy for the patient with primary neurological disorders, which is really an amazing course where primarily the course participants are all in the neurological background. And when they hear the word manual therapy, they freak out because they don't do any of that in their practice. And when they think about manual therapy, they think about orthopedics and manipulation. And they're like, we don't want to touch that. I found a few interesting points the last few years. Most recently, the ability to have shared language between the two groups, whether you're a neurotherapist or an orthotherapist, Orthotherapists, we use manipulation and mobilizations versus neurotherapists primarily use facilitation and inhibitory techniques. I believe we can kind of come to an agreement with being able to have a quick stretch in our hands-on techniques to facilitate change. I want to use a quote from one of uh, a neuro resident in the last course that I taught, and he's from Minnesota. His name is Daniel Blocker, and he I asked him if I can use this quote because I thought he eloquently summed up what this bridging of these two silos. He said, this course builds on the neurological basis behind manual therapy and how the nervous system truly transcends both neurological and orthopedic physical therapy practice. And Tim, you talked about pain. I also want to share a story from one of our course instructors, Dr. Christy White, she's an amazing neurotherapist. She's been working with me for the last few years and ask her if I can use this story because I believe this is the essence of what rehabilitation means to myself, as well as what we do as manual physical therapists, as well as just physical therapists who have license to touch and heal with their hands. Christy was, um, she had a story about working with a patient about four years out post hemorrhagic stroke the patient came in with left shoulder pain on her affected side. And Christy, after taking our course, she did some manual therapy to the scapula, what we usually do in orthopedics. She then followed up with PNF to her left arm, the affected side. After that session, the patient got really emotional and said, quote, no one has ever touched me on my affected side this way like you did. And after that moment, her pain decreased, her increased sensation in her left arm, and how that translated was improved function and rehab. And then follow-up long-term-wise, the patient ended up getting massages weekly to help with pain, positioning, and spasticity to optimize outcomes. So I thought that was a remarkable story of just bridging what we do as physical therapists to decrease pain, optimize function. John, I I love that. And I can't help but think all the time, the more we talk that 
as we're learning, manipulation mobilization's mechanism is probably primarily neurophysiological. You know, we look at these studies that are showing decreases in global musculature tone and increases in deep muscle activation, all the changes that are happening in the dorsal horn and some of the, the different ways we can modulate that with desetting inhibition. This is all neurological. Mm. It's funny that we have spent so much focus with these techniques in a primarily, I get the whole idea that every patient has a nervous system. Like I don't mean to dichotomize them that much, but mm. certainly manual therapy has fallen into favor with more of a, an outpatient biomechanical peripheral kind of discussion. It's funny. I mean, do you feel that we should be leveraging this, these techniques more heavily in the neural population, considering that the primary mm. source of impact seems to be driven neurophysiologically? Yes, indeed. I believe that there's a big opportunity, especially in the neurological realm, to perform these manual therapy techniques where Dr. Bialoski's, he had a recent paper out there on a follow-up with this seminal landmark article on the mechanisms of manual, manual therapy. You bring up a great point, Jeff. There's a lot of supraspinal and even central cord and peripheral mechanisms that all point to neurophysiological improvements. Uh, specifically, specifically manipulation. The manipulation has a quick, that quick impulse, that low amplitude, quick stretch to an area to, to reset, to decrease the tone has, I believe, can have a remarkable impact with the patient with neurological insult. For example, we do have case examples to come in with spinal cord injuries and post-stroke and Parkinson's. People are amazed that where we're performing manipulations on these clients who are all screened and all appropriately evaluated to do these techniques that we're seeing just manipulation to the thoracic spine and upper quarter. We're seeing changes in sit to stands. We're also seeing changes in gait speed, which is pretty amazing. And like on the other side, I would love to say that the orthopedic realm can learn a lot from the neurological PTs and the neurological research. And as we're talking on this podcast on pain, I believe that in the neurological realm, there's that term neuroplasticity. And some of the main drivers for neuroplasticity is mass practice, high intensity, progressive exercises. And then the last two, very important, is that the patient have to be, has to have attention. And more, most importantly, it has to be a salient and meaningful stimuli to the patient to push neuroplastic changes. And in the pain state for people with persistent pain, we know that there's that term pain meeting where the whole brain is under a pain meeting where every part of the brain is firing. And so to allow the brain to change, and as Dr. Adrian Lowe makes, talks about, make it a wet brain full of stimulus, I believe we have to make that neuroplastic changes where what we do, what we say, how we touch, how we exercise should be salient and meaningful and pushing the neuroplastic principles for the person with persistent pain. And John, if you wouldn't mind giving an example of what you just said, that idea of, you know, the salient aspects of it, say you're now seeing a patient coming in, uh, say with uh, Parkinson's disorder, plus, you know, uh, chronic low back pain and decreasing uh, mobility. How might mm -hmm. you approach that? Yes, great, great uh, question. So many patients who have neurological disorders come to me and they're actually in a very high pain realm. They're 
either had an atraumatic or traumatic experience and they've gone through the medical system and have had at least a quarter to half of my clients at least have an emotional experience where they're crying about their pain and or just their situation and that they're trying to live their life again. So we know that pain is an, a real and emotional experience. So I then pause and I do the whole pain neuroscience education piece and creating analogies that one, that the trauma on the neurological system is a normal response that they're going through and that a lot of people actually has gone through and that the neurological system has in a way been disconnected and that they're trying to, the nervous system trying to recalibrate and restore function again. And what we're doing as physical therapists with the exercise and even the manual therapy techniques, we're giving the body enough time to recalibrate and reconnect to move again. And talking about saliency and meaningful, everything that we say and everything that we do should be meaningful for the patient. So for example, if they, they want to go for hiking or biking, everything that we're doing would be hiking and biking oriented. I love that, John. You know, John, I wanted to ask, we talk so often about utilizing like test retest models. And as, as, as we're talking about a case example like this, with your population that, that tends to be more towards that persistent pain and neurological involvement, I'm assuming it's not quite so simple. You know, we talk in our courses about doing cervical manipulation and someone's neck range of motion increases by 15 degrees. They get good buy-in. Off we go. We build a home program around that. But when you're dealing with neurological issues and more persistent pain, you don't tend to see these huge movement changes within session. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'd be curious, you know, what do you focus on to help that patient reflect on the value that what you're doing together is really bringing them? Mm. So, yes, you're correct that you may not see big changes right away for their patient with neurological changes. And to... I would say that actually there are changes intra-sessionally, but it's hard to make longer-term session changes for the patient with neurological dysfunction. So being able to, one, work, I think it's working with persistent pain in general, is like giving them the big picture of uh, like small goals to big goals, uh, chunking, being able to be like, all right, this is our weak goal. We're going to get your sit to stands. Our goal is to get less than 13 seconds. Your walking speed. Uh, our, we want this in one week, four weeks, so being able to pace them. So everything that we do in cognitive behavioral therapy is pacing, uh, goal setting, motivational interviewing. So I believe all those, quote, softer skills are very important for framing manual therapy. And I think that's very important because I, I really appreciate this podcast because you talk about the full spectrum of physical therapy, which includes language and being able to frame, I believe, the manual therapy in the context of the bigger picture. I want to follow up with Tim's question when he had the question about neuroplasticity and pain. So the essence of rehabilitation comes from the French word habitar, which means to dwell or to inhabit. And then the Indo-European word gape, also meaning to give and to receive. So in essence, um, from John Gabbett-Sin's book, come into our senses, rehabilitation means to live inside again. 
And I believe that neuroplasticity and what we're doing for the patient with a neurological dysfunction or even a person with persistent pain who's been living with pain for more than three, six months to a year, what we're doing is we're allowing these people to live inside their bodies again. And that takes a lot of freaking reps, a lot of mass practice, a lot of high intensity with not just their hands, but with their exercise. So mainly therapy plus exercise. And it has to be progressive. It has to push that the patients have to be very attentive and focused. They have to be have deliberate practice where they're aware of their mistakes and that they can correct themselves. And everything has to be salient and meaningful. And I'm really passionate about that because we are tapping into a very deep neural connection where we're reconnecting people back into their bodies, whether it's traumatic or atraumatic. And so that's where I believe neuroplasticity is essential for pain reframing and pain science. Yeah, I love that comment, John, and the, the salient, meaningful movements. Uh, just a client yesterday of 15 years of persistent back pain, uh, mother of five, actually, with one-year-old twins. And uh, you, you can get the idea of busy life and has had acute flare-up with lateral shift and type of scenario. But, you know, when got at the essence of you know, what was needed is, you know, picking children from the floor and really just getting up out of bed. And just, just as you know, the ability to just teach people to, you know, go from, from supine to standing in smooth, effortless ways, how empowering that is and how people begin to just close off. This is someone what you would consider a normal neurological system in the traditional sense. But in the, the pain science sense, clearly altered uh, neurological system that mm -hmm. has lost its, its fine movements and, and ability to integrate whole body movements. So just the, you mentioned tears and the empowerment of someone teaching someone to do something they do over and over throughout the day. And the ability to do that with control just reframes, you know, the entire experience some one might have. And I do think that uh, back to kind of this conversation, you know, I'm more like you, we, that's probably why we connect because I grew up in a traumatic brain injury environment in my early training. So I had the neuro mindset going into quote unquote, musculoskeletal uh, PT, if you will. And I do believe that's where uh, orthopedic providers, whether it be on the surgical side or the PT side or the medical side, we've forgotten or we have not integrated those principles, I don't think enough into the management of patients uh, with persistent pain. And I think that, that that was really well stated in how you brought that up. And I'm gonna probe you a little more though, John, on this idea of this, because we've had discussions on this test retest, you know, when, you know, we like to, if, when someone's in persistent pain, we really do not want to focus on, we want to focus on the function, uh, not on, okay, is that, you know, did that drop from a seven out of 10 to a four out of 10 on a pain scale? That seems to be counterproductive. So you mentioned that within session, you see changes. What is your quote unquote test retest item that you might use for within session change to get patient buy-in? 
Yes, I do believe that test retest is essential for patient buying and and it's a once it gives back in a way a cycle back to it's salient and meaningful what I'm doing on my patient that they're seeing, okay, this is actually making changes. So the the items that I do test, I look at the full domain of the ICF model, the international classification model. So I look at impairments, I look at activity and look at then participation. So for example, if I'm treating a patient with Parkinson's or with a stroke, there's going to be high chance that there's going to be low thoracic mobility. And I know from this experience, thoracic manipulation, ribcage mobilization, I'm going to improve impairments on no question. And then I'm going to also look at spasticity, if there is spasticity in the arms or the extremities. And then I also look at balance, um, sitting, standing, um, more importantly, functional things like sit to stand and gait. Um, and so I would do my manual therapy and we'll retest each one. And most likely, at least 80% of the impairments will change. And, and that's why it's the importance to have multiple impairment or what we call in the orthopedic manual therapy realm, asterisk signs to monitor and, and to assess. And which is very important. One of my mentors, Dr. Tim Fear, and he likes to say, do as much as necessary, but the least amount as possible. So do as much, but not too much. So to be able to have multiple asterisk signs and do the technique and to make sure you're, what you're trying to do and your intention is making the appropriate response and then to stop when you achieve it. I like that, John. So to, to summarize that, you know, really you are using a, a model within practice where you expect to see change within that session that's measurable, patients note it. And these are folks with, again, persistent problems, longstanding duration, and I would say multi-system problems when they're coming in from for a predominant uh, movement-related disorder, have pain on top of it, and have things that would cross realms of neurological physical therapy, orthopedic physical therapy, et cetera. So as we as we go forward here, John, how what is your vision? What do you see mm. occurring? We can say in the PT space, but broader than that, because I know you're really into breathing and, and breath work and other things. So what's, what's your kind of vision of how we're going to make a dent in this pain problem in this country? Oh, great question. He's got me excited there. So the vision, my vision. So my first few years, I was just exploring the benefits. A literature review out there the last 10, 20 years, there's not that much research on the manotherapy for the neurological patient. And so my real research question at first was, does manotherapy make some changes? And clearly I've seen and the evidence suggests, and there's going to be some emergent evidence, that's my hope, there, that manotherapy for the neurological patient, as you and I, Tim, we've talked that this patient population who does have pain and pain limits their function that they're under, right now they're underdosed and that we can use not just exercise, but our hands in, the, in manual therapy, especially manipulation, mobilization, make a bigger change faster. So at first that was my clinical question. And then now I already know that from the research out there, manual therapy alone improves. But what we do know in the orthopedic realm, 20, 30 years of research, manual therapy plus exercise is better than just manual therapy or exercise alone. So now I'm looking at the 
combination of those two in the neurological population. And, and then you bring up, so I bring that up because you talk about breathing and exercise in the respiratory care. So now my focus is not just manual therapy, but using manual therapy to optimize exercise. And one of the most foundational movements that we have, in, especially in the neural realm, postural stability, posture control is our respiratory system. Dr. Cook, Gary Cook talks about, you can't breathe in, in that position, you don't own that position. Mary Mastery, Dr. Mary Mastery has a, does her all her work on posture stability and her courses are entitled, you can't breathe, you can't function. So I uh, just recently got back from a, a course and we added a lot more breathing, respiratory, manual therapy interventions, as well as breathing retraining of the diaphragm. And we saw amazing changes. One, we didn't even, I didn't even work on his low back. This guy had an incomplete spinal cord in L2 and L1 and low back pain. And we did some manual therapy to the thoracic rib cage and taught, taught him diaphragmatic breathing and all his pain went away and his, his function actually improved with that. So that's where I would love to see things go in not just the neural realm, but in the ortho realm is manual therapy plus exercise plus breathing retraining because I, one, you can look at respiration as a primary way for postural control and muscular activation. But second, it's, I don't want to go so deep in the weeds. I'll leave it as a primer that respiration also, like you talked about in your podcast, can dial down pain. And in addition, I would say it's one way for people to get out of their heads, out of that pain meeting and back into their body. I believe breathing, if you take, if your listeners right now can take five diaphragmatic breaths in their belly and closing their eyes and breathing deep into their pelvic floor, their stomach and their diaphragm, and just pause and breathe through the nose, slow, smooth, and effortless, you can sense and feel that everything gets more grounded and you can actually feel your body a little bit more and be out of your head. And my sense as a therapist is that people with pain states, persistent pain, neurological or ortho, they're in a pain meeting and they're in their heads a lot. So I brought up in conclusion, I brought up the essence of the word rehabilitation. And my vision is that we can, as physical therapists, with our ability, the healing touch that we have is to allow people to live back inside their bodies and out of their heads and to be able to live in the communities better and out in nature and do what they love to do. Yeah, well stated, John. And I think I'd say also this idea you mentioned about breathing and what it does. And I think what we fail just on a mechanical perspective and a patient buy-in perspective, you know, how do you do range of motion to your rib cage? You know, those joints, muscles, and, and soft tissues require range of motion, but, uh, but rarely do we give it uh, that. And I, that's one of my sell points is, you know, range of motion to the rib cage is, is through deep, mindful breathing. And not only do you get that going, you get this twofer of this, you got the sympathetic chain ganglion and all these, these nerve fibers that are related to this whole fight or flight mechanism. And we know nerves need, they need to have space, they need movement and they need nutrition. So, you know, what better way than to get some movement and in that region. So it seems mm. so, I guess, uh, obvious in many respects that 
when you look at what mindfulness has been shown to happen on many areas in chronic pain, anxiety, and other disorders, that that just be bread and butter to anybody coming in to see a uh, PT provider. Indeed, uh, you talk about nutrients, blood flow, space, and nutrients. I like to say blood blood flow, oxygen, and space is that what the nervous system needs. I think oxygen is a primary nutrient. And the research does suggest as you bring up the ribcage and the sympathetic ganglion there, that in 1970s article in the journal of physical therapy, they bring up the neurology of spinal pain. They talk about the neurology of spinal pain. At the very end of that article, it talks about apical breathing. Apical breathing as one of the main causes for spinal pain. So teaching diaphragmatic, more lower body breathing and using the 360 degree breath. Your diaphragm is a 360 degree muscle from the front to the back. And in PT school, all we see is a line that goes in front of the body and we don't spend that much time on it. And I believe it's an underdose, undertreated area. And so we teach a person to breathe 360 degrees from front and back, get them that full 360 lower body breath and, and decrease that apical breathing, we can decrease pain. You know, you kind of wonder, I, I think of the, as we get in into the weeds, which I enjoy this idea of, you know, thoracolumbar junction, and you look at the, what happens as the thoracic spine reach, meets the lumbar spine, and the, the diaphragm and how it is the orientation there. And I often wonder that, you know, some of the manual techniques we do that are aimed to that area, that, you know, we often, again, we frame it from the joints perspective, but are we not just creating quick stretches across, you know, deeper even across the diaphragm and creating uh, movement within that, you know, that, that diaphragmatic area when we put people into these positions of rotation. And if we put that into the context of yoga postures and other wellness postures where, you know, other systems talk about twists and about movements and what those may do. And sometimes the language that they describe gets a little bit out there, but their mechanism may not be correct, but the movement may be very healthy, right? Yeah. Yep. You bring up a great point. I, I believe the, uh, the rotations are just so beneficial. And we know through biomechanically that thoracic spine has the most biomechanical rotation. And yet it very seldom gets that movement. And the more impaired people become, the less we, we provide movement into that region of the body. So, John, as we come to a close uh, here, do you have any, uh, any thoughts or words of wisdom to the practitioners out there in the trenches that are listening to this podcast? Yes, I, I do want to leave with a story and a, and a poem um, and then just kind of a nice closing message um, for your listeners. First off, has anyone read a poem on your podcast before? You know, John, I don't think they have. So this could be a first. I'm looking forward right. to it. All right. First one. So um, I want to share a, a quick story here. A patient of mine comes in with left shoulder pain. And so imagine that you're blind. Imagine that you're deaf. How would you, how would you experience the world? How would you, how would you express emotion? How would you communicate with other one, other people? Well, this lady, she comes in left shoulder pain walks in my clinic. She was born blind. 
with impaired hearing. At the age of 15, she lost complete hearing. And then at the age of 20, she actually had a motor, a snowmobile accident and had a traumatic brain injury. And she was in a coma for 30 days. And so I'm seeing her at the age of 70 and she's walking in with her care partner. And she had, due to the magic of modern medicine, she, was, she got a cochlear implant and it was able to hear. However, her hearing is very rudimentary. And so a lot, a lot of communication is very simple and for the, with words and even exercise and hands-on technique. So after one or a few visits, her left shoulder pain goes away. And what's left is looking at global impairments and function, primarily falls and even pains from those falls and, and even persistent migraines and headaches. So one day, several visits later, I'm running 10 minutes behind and in the afternoon, little lull, afternoon lull from lunch and a little overrun from the morning. I'm running 10 minutes behind, I take her back and I'm I, what we usually do, I'm putting my hands on her on her back, her rib cage, working on breathing, everything we've talked about. And then, but this day was different. Her, this day was different. She kindly and most compassionately said, John, have patience with me. Wow. I stepped back and I was, I was ashamed of myself and, but also amazed of what she picked up with her body through my hands and what, and it just blew my mind. And then a, a few weeks later, she came back from New York city for a, a memorial service for her late husband who was also blind and deaf, but I'll save that story for another time. It might be entitled podcast. Love is blind that she comes back with a book of poems that her late husband wrote. And there's a beautiful poem that really touched me and ironic God touch. And so he wrote this poem for her on her wedding day. So this poem I would love to share, it's called Touch, and it goes like this. There is no need to speak. I understand each quick, impulsive movement of your hand. By some strange magic of the heart, I guess, the meaning of each gesture, each caress. Your fingers can be gentle, firm or kind or fierce when anger surges through your mind, or they can trace with such exquisite grace the tenderness love mirrors in your face. Oh, when I reach to take you by the hand, it is because I need to understand that I am not alone in this broad land. So if I know one thing, to be in this last several years as a rehabilitation professional is the, what, what rehab really means to me. And it, it's that what we're doing as rehab professionals, neuro or ortho or fill in whatever specialty you have, it's our ability to touch and to allow people to live inside their bodies again. And that what we do, not just with our words and our exercise, but with our hands, allows people to reconnect into their bodies. And so I would love to leave that 
to your listeners is as we dive into the t- trenches, whether you're in rehab or non-rehab, that the power of touch can make a big change in people's lives and to be present and to uh, walk with the people with you and make this a better world. Well, John, with that, I think we'll, we'll close. I can't thank you enough for sharing that, sharing the story and sharing that poem. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Wow, I can't thank John enough for sharing those stories and the moving poem on really the, not only the power of touch, but just the ability of the body to interpret and to sense feeling, sense time, sense space. And I think that gets to the essence of what is needed so much in the management of chronic and persistent pain that we've gotten outside of our bodies and that the ability to reconnect with our bodies and the ability of therapists to facilitate that reconnection does lie at the heart of recovery and rehabilitation and back into more healthy living in a manner that really is authentic to who we are as humans. So thanks again for joining us at Pain Reframed, and we look forward to seeing you on Facebook, uh, following us, uh, Jeff and I, on Twitter and other outlets there, and hope each and every one of you have a most excellent day. Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.